we started the week with a Michael and we're going to end the week with Mike. And there is much to talk about with this fellow. When he was here a few years ago, we talked about his mother's battle with Alzheimer's and dementia and his struggle with her struggle. It was such a memorable and helpful conversation. We aired it many times. And a few months ago, I heard that Pastor Mike is retiring. So we reached out and we said, hey, Mike, would you come on and talk? Let's just talk. I have a whole bunch of questions for this retiring pastor of Brentwood Baptist Church in Tennessee. And today is the day. Think it's going to be a good conversation. Let's first give a note of gratitude for those behind the scenes. Ryan McConaughey doing all things technical. Trish is our producer. Gabby T's in the chair. Lisa will be answering your calls today. And since it's Friday, that's right, it's time for the fabulous Fabry Friday Psy. Here's what it does. One, we oxygenate your blood. Two, we get your endorphins going. Three, we raise your serotonin level. Four, we promote lymphatic drainage. Five, we stimulate your parasympathetic system. That's why we call it the five lung languages. We also stimulate your vagus nerve. We help you release acetylcholine. And don't forget what it does to cortisol dissipation. Take in four seconds of air through your nose right now. Hold it four seconds. And then as you release that air through your mouth, push on the left side of your rib cage to get rid of all that bad carbon dioxide. Today we give a Mike or Michael sigh. Of course, Michael Radelnik and Van Lanningham are two of our favorite Michaels, but there's also Michael Card, who was here Monday. Michael is Ryan McConaughey's middle name. Michael was the name of the Archangel, Chief Prince of the Heavenlies. There are famous Michaels from sports. Michael Jordan, Michael Phelps, Michael Singletary. There are many Michaels in entertainment. Michael Landon, Michael J. Fox, and probably the most famous Michael in the last hundred years is not known as Michael. Michael King Jr. was born February of 29, and when he was five, his name changed to Martin Luther King Jr. And now you know. Give a Michael sigh in honor of our guest today. Bet you didn't know that about uh, Dr. King. Program note, this is our final live broadcast for December. Final live, we're still going to have programs, but this is the final live one starting Monday. We have some fantastic Christmas-related programs on Christmas Day. It's Christmas with the two Michaels, Haul Out the Holly. And then in that last week between Christmas and New Year's, Trisha came up with the idea of a spiritual enrichment series from the last year or so. That is what is ahead. So since today is our last live program, I wanted to mention again how grateful we are for your support of this program. We can't do what we do without you and your support and it's important that we have as many people lifting the load together as possible. So if you can give a gift, uh, big or small, whatever, don't hold back. We had two large gifts yesterday. Thank you. You know who you are. Our thank you for a couple more weeks is the novel Saving Grayson. I got an email uh, today. I enjoyed reading Saving Grayson so much. It wasn't only because it was well-written, it's, but also because it connected so much with my life. Give a gift of any size before the end of the year. We'll send you a copy. Call 866-95-FABRY or go to chrisfabrylive.org. And a note about that book that deals with a man who has early onset Alzheimer's and is going to solve the mystery of his life. Our guest today was a big encouragement in the writing of that story, and he didn't even know it. Again, thanks for your kindness at the back fence, 866-953-2279, or go to chrisfabrylive.org. Dot org, and you can see how to support us right there. Mike Glenn, two N's, 
is the president of the Engaged Church Network, former senior pastor of Brentwood Baptist Church in Brentwood, Tennessee, husband, father, grandfather, author, speaker, graduated from Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. You can't say Louisville. Louisville, Kentucky. He's written three books. We talked about Coffee with Mom, Caring for a Parent with Dementia in 2019. It was a game changer for me. Mike, welcome back to the program. How are you doing today? Well, thank you, Chris. It's glad to be with you. Very glad to be with you. Okay, so I watched the video of you uh, walk through this old church where you grew up, and you, were, you looked at this collage, this picture of all the people that were at the church, and in the middle of it, you said, that's my mom. What happened when you saw her in the picture? Well, uh, I, I grew up in this little mill uh, village church there in Huntsville, Alabama. And to celebrate their history, they had this these huge collages. And I knew everybody in the pictures. And so I was kind of naming them out loud. And what I didn't expect was to see a picture of my mom at the piano right in the middle of one of those big collages. And it just, uh, it just, it, it uh, it caught me right as i guess i'd say cuz cuz uh, that that's i learned a lot about uh, about jesus listening to her play the piano in fact i told somebody if we do a movie of my life the soundtrack has to be my mom just playing the old gospel songs on the piano cuz that, that's what i grew up listening to what what is one gospel song that you remember from your childhood what comes to mind what's the first one that you oh, think oh gosh of? turn your eyes upon jesus yeah <laughs> You know, Look full uh, in his the, wonderful the George, face. Yeah, right? the George Beverly shade, and, and mom would mom would play that all the time. So, um, November twenty second, nineteen fifty six, is when you were born. So, on your seventh mm-hmm. birthday, what happened? Uh, John Kennedy was assassinated. What was that birthday so, uh, party like? Yo, it, it was non-existent. Everybody, they kind of gave me a present, went back in the room, and started crying again. So, yeah, that was. Uh, you know, and, and you don't you don't realize it because you're seven. But I mean, uh, everything changes uh, in that moment, and everybody who is who was part of that time knows where they were when they heard that John Kennedy was assassinated. Yeah. Uh, what was Christmas like for you growing up when you were seven, eight, nine, <laughs> ten years old? Well, see, my dad, uh, my dad worked uh, uh, at Redstone Arsenal, but he also had a television and appliance store. And so my dad sold televisions and appliances and I was the delivery guy. So, and my dad believed if he could sell it, then we should be able to deliver it. And so if he sold it at eight 30, then we delivered it that night. <laughs> and so people don't believe me, but I have, I have adjusted the color of a new TV and done all the setup listening to Johnny Carson's monologue. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that, that is no kidding. I'm not making that up. Well, wait a minute. That uh, was Central Time, though, if you're in Alabama. Yeah, that was Central Time. Central, was Central okay. Time. So, see, I'm so Eastern was, Time. When I was a kid, I was Eastern, so it wasn't until 1130. So you'd be yeah, working so real late was, there. Yeah, this was 1030. But if, we, if Dad sold another one, we'd have to deliver that one, too. So uh, so by the time Daddy closed the store and we got everybody out and all the deliveries taken care of, then we'd come home on Christmas Eve and... and um, and we would have our Christmas together as a family. And then on hmm. Christmas Day, Daddy would rest. Huh. So our, our time was Christmas Eve. Yeah. 
Uh, you mentioned TVs. One of the one of the formative memories I have uh, was getting a, a console television, a Curtis Mathis. Have you ever heard of that brand? Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. This Curtis is a huge thing. It weighed like five hundred pounds, but and it was color. But because we only got two channels pretty well down there in the holler. It, the color never really came in. So it, I couldn't tell the difference between black and white and color until, you know, <laughs> years later. Yeah. yeah, people forget, you know, you used to have to turn turn the channel and then somebody would be designated to adjust the antenna. Yes. <laughs> and you, you, you need to have a little antenna on top or somebody would be outside turning the pole and you're yelling, yeah, that's it, that's it. No, 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 stop. So. <laughs> So you made the, I watched this video, you made the announcement at your church that at the end of, by the end of 2023, you're stepping down right from, from Brentwood. I want to know, I want to know how, how did they respond? I want to know how you knew it was time and then a whole lot more. And then what the Engage Church Network is all about. You're president of that. Mike Glenn is with us today. Oh, this is going to be fun. Coffee with Mom is the book that started our conversation here at the Back Fence. We're going to talk a whole lot more with Mike at the Radio Backyard Fence. More straight ahead on Moody Radio. Mike Glenn is president of the Engage Church Network, formerly senior pastor of Brentwood Baptist Church in Brentwood, Tennessee. He, he Earlier this year, he said, I'm going to resign and uh, I'm not going to be your pastor anymore. And I watched that and you could just hear the gasp. So I want to find out more about that. He's been married to his wife, Jeannie. They got married in in a fever. In what year did you guys get married? 1980. Really? 1980, 43 years. 43 years. What time of year? What was it early in the uh, year? June, June 14th. Oh, yeah. Of course. Okay. So you so, celebrate. And, and this 40th. coming June, I'll have to renegotiate another year. <laughs> so <laughs> twin sons, and they're both married, and they've given you a bunch of grandkids, right? That's right. That's right. Four grandkids. I got three uh, grandgirls and uh, one little grandboy. What's your favorite thing to do with the grandgirls? Uh, go shopping with them. <laughs> And, uh, it, it, you know, I grew up, we have two boys. So this, this girl world is just a totally different thing for me. And so it's just, it's always an adventure and what they can teach you and, you know, help you understand about what's in and what's not and why you don't wear that and why you wear this. And so <laughs> what about they just, your they just pretty much know I'm homeless. I'm just homeless. I'm yeah. just hopeless. You know, what, so. what is, what is your grandson? What do you do with it? You go fishing with him or not? Uh, he's into ball. So if it rolls or bounces or whatever, that's, that's what we do. So, <laughs> okay. So in the spring of the year was sometime earlier in the year, you said you're stepping down. How did you know uh-huh. it was time? Um, well, to, to kind of go back, people don't think I pay attention, but I do. And, uh, it's amazing what you can learn when you just kind of pay attention and I had watched several uh, very successful pastors uh, come to the end of their ministry and drop the ball. Uh, either they didn't leave well, uh, they lost some kind of power structure, or they uh, 
their skills diminished in such a such a way that the church began to decline. And when they stepped away, the church just kind of evaporated. And so you had this once great church that just all of a sudden turned to, you know, 200 people in a 2,500, 3,000-seat auditorium. And, uh, and that was just not a preferable future for me. Uh, I just... Um, I just did not see that that's that's the was the will of the Lord for for Brentwood Baptist Church. So, so one, I knew I was going to retire. Somebody asked me, they said, "When did you think about retirement?" Well, about forty five years ago, actually. <laughs> you know, uh, I knew I uh, you know there's a, there's a there's a season there's a season to start and there's a season to stop, and you want to stop while while everything's still going good. Um, and so we began to talk three or four years ago about what that transition would look like. Uh, we were able to identify a young man, Jay Strother, on our staff, and uh, we began to pour into Jay so Jay would be ready. And uh, and so literally the first Sunday in October, uh, uh, I stood up with a baton that you would use, a, a, a relay baton, and said, for 45 years, I've been doing this, and I've never had a pastor. Now I want to introduce you to my pastor. And I preached the first half of the sermon, and Jay did the second half of the sermon and, <laughs> and put the baton in his hand, and that was it. And they haven't missed a beat, Chris. They just haven't missed a beat. It's, it hurts my feelings the, yeah. of, of how well they're doing. You know, budget's up, attendance is up. I'm going, man, I was holding this place back, and I didn't know it. So. Uh, but uh, it, the, the transition has gone gone really really well, and you know if Chris, if you love your church, then you are planning for your church's future even beyond your ministry there. That's still part of my legacy. That's still part of what I'm responsible for. And um, you know, usually when a pastor announces their retirement, everybody shuts the engines off. You don't do anything because well, Mike's retiring. And you have a bunch of parties, um, and then it takes you a year or two to find the new guy, and then a year or two for this guy to learn the system. Well, you know that's three to five years you're dead in the water, and you just won't recover from that. Not now. And so we put uh, we we tried real hard to be really intentional about making sure that Brentwood was ready to run into the future that God was opening up for her. Um and. The Engaged Church Network. I want to talk with you about that, but it sounds to mm -hmm. me, because again, I watched this video of of your life and ministry when you looked a little younger. Although your hair always <laughs> yeah. has seemed to be kind of gray, yeah. is that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, I got that from my dad. So okay, um, so younger, it was like not only did you feel a call to the pastorate. But there were other people who said, we knew from a long time ago, this is what he needed to do, right? Yeah, right, yeah. How did um, you know? How did you, know, you, how well, did you when, feel when that? I was, when I was growing up, uh, it was not unusual for a pastor to talk about his boys. Uh, you'd be talking to a pastor, and you'd mention another pastor, and he'd smile and go, yeah, he's one of my boys. And that meant that that pastor had served some point in time in the past with that older pastor. And that's where you learned how to pastor a church. Uh, I was very fortunate in that early, early in my ministry, old pastors liked me. And they would take me out for coffee, and they would tell you how to visit a hospital room. They would tell you how to work a funeral. They would tell you how to handle a disgruntled church member. And those skills you don't learn. 
anywhere else except from a uh, from a wiser pastor. And so um, we determined that Brentwood Baptist Church was going to be a teaching congregation and a training congregation, and that we felt led uh, by the Lord to be training pastors uh, that would then go out and serve uh uh, in the churches around us. And so when I left, we had nine campuses. All of those campuses have a full-time pastor. And uh, and we trained them and worked with them and uh, watched the video of their sermons and that kind of thing. So uh, so it's not uh, so, you satellited to the, all the, the rest of the No, place. no, no. And here's why. Uh, one, it doesn't happen much, but it does happen that there is a pastoral care need in that church that if you don't address it from the pulpit, it's just ministerial malpractice. And uh, if I'm doing that from a video, I can't do that. And the second thing is you don't get better at preaching unless you're preaching. Uh, and, you know, I tell the, the the young pastors on our team, I said, listen, I said, you need to know your week is the day before you preach, the day after you preach and the day uh, that you preach. That's your whole week. And when you show up on Sunday morning, they don't care if you've had eight funerals or, you know, your kid's sick, you better have something to say. And that is a discipline you only learn by doing it in the push and shove of the ministry. How do you visit a hospital room? Slowly. Um, you go in and, uh, if, and one, you don't wake them up because the rest is why they're in there. Uh, so be prepared to leave a note uh, and, and pray, uh, but be sure that you touch them, uh, their hand, their shoulder, somewhere where there maybe is not a needle because you forget that you're one of the few people who have come in that room and touched them and not hurt them. Uh, talk with them and uh, talk with their family. See what the doctor's saying. Uh, you learn to ask questions like, well, what's the doctor telling you rather than what's wrong or <laughs> something like that. So, right. uh, and, um, and listen, uh, and see where they are on their journey and where they need affirming and, uh, and building up and then be sure that you pray with them, but don't stay real long and, uh, and then, uh, get to your next hospital room. Do you learn from mistakes that you've made? Oh yeah, uh, wisdom just means I messed up before you did. That's all. <laughs> that's all wisdom is, you know. <laughs> so, uh, and you, yeah, you try to we we try to create a space for our young pastors to learn these hard lessons, and they not be fatal. Yeah, uh, and so we can you know point at them and laugh at them a little bit, but they'll learn and and they won't do it again. But a lot of times a young pastor goes out in his first church and, and makes a mistake and they end up firing him. And, and, and there's nothing redemptive about that process. And so you lose a, a gifted young man and the whole future uh, because of what we would call a rookie mistake. One of the things that I really liked about the video that they did was they went through your, your life and, and the calling and, you know, decades of, of service and you know, growth and all of that. But one of the things that drew me to your experience was 
um, when you were in seminary, you felt like you had to fit into the box that they were telling you to fit in. And it probably wasn't the seminary's fault, but it was yeah. your perception that you had to be a certain thing. And you finally, <laughs> you finally figured it out that God wasn't calling you to be that way. No, no, no. Uh, you know, there are, um, when you are in those situations, when you're trying to wonder, figure out who you are, uh, trying to figure out who you are as a new husband, Jeannie and I had just been married, and then trying to figure out what you will be, and I hate to use this word, in the profession. You know, you start looking at other people, and well, he wears a blue suit all the time. And you're looking at all the wrong things, but you're looking at what you can see. Uh, you know, he wears this kind of shirt, or this is the, you know, the Bible he carries. And so you end up trying to imitate uh, all the successful pastors, in your mind, successful pastors. And you end up being trapped kind of like David in Saul's armor. Uh, And you end up giving away the very unique qualities that Jesus gave you for the service of his kingdom in an attempt to try to be someone else that Jesus never wanted you to be in the first place. When did you realize that, though? Was there something that happened in the pulpit or that you were studying? It was like, no, I, I can't do that. <laughs> yeah, there was, a, there was a couple of times where, where I said to the Lord, if this is what you want, I just I cannot do this. Uh, and uh, But one of my uh, seminary professors, a professor by the name of Bill Leonard, who, who uh, taught uh, church history at Southern when I was there, uh, caught me in the hall one time. He said, you know, you are quite the unique personality on our campus. And I said, is that a fancy way of calling me an eight ball? He said, yeah, I guess it is. And then he looked at me and smiled. And he said, but please don't lose that. Hmm. That's your gift to the kingdom. And that was one of the first times that I had been blessed for my uniqueness. And, uh, and that, that moment was life-changing. Isn't that what you've tried to do in the church as well or the churches that you've served and probably even in the Engaged Church Network is to say, to give that to the people in the pew who come and say, there's nothing here for this. And boy, we need to do something about that. And you realize right. they're the person. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, and and it's an, they, you get a strange look from them when I will say, I'll be interested to hear how you work that out. But that's not that's not the passion that Jesus gave to me. He gave it to you because there's something in your life that he wants to do in you and through you that will bring glory to him in a way that I can't. Uh, so let's see what the Lord does. And all and interesting, Chris, that the, all of the really successful ministries in our church, the ones in our church are really known for, were all started by lay people. Every one of them. Uh, the Deaf Church, uh, the Kairos, the, the young adult ministry that we had for so long, uh, the, now the special needs ministry that we had, we're all started by, by lay people. That's what I was going to say, because there was a, a woman who was a special needs teacher in the community, right. and they for years they talked about, what would it look like? And then there's the picture of you and, and all of them cutting the ribbon. Right. And uh, it got up and started, and we found out as 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 you probably know that there is this entire underground community of, of special needs families who don't go to church because there's nobody there who's trained to help them with their child, who aren't involved because someone always has to be home with the child. 
Uh, and it is it is a, a very, very stressful situation for those families. And so when you can say, hey, come to this building uh, and we have trained people who are waiting to receive your child, uh, even if your child is now an adult, we have facilities to take care of them. Uh, it, um, it, it, there are some moments, Chris. Well, for instance, after we finally opened after COVID, uh, there were people who had not been away from their special needs adult child in two years. Had not had a break in two years. And then they, they did. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Um, uh, th- that facility is named after my granddaughter. Is it really? Uh, Rowan. Rowan is a special needs uh, child. And uh, and she's in kindergarten now. And so she has her little kindergarten book that says, hi, my name is Rowan. Here are my mom and dad. Here's my brother. Uh, you know, here I like this color. And, here, and the last page is here's something else you may want to know about me. And you flip the page and it's a picture of the Rowan Glenn center. And it says, <laughs> I have a building named after me. <laughs> <laughs> what have you learned from Rowan that you would not have learned? Oh had- gosh. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> Rowan is the happiest child. Uh, and uh, does, does not, believe that that a person should walk by her without being acknowledged without being spoken to and waved to and if you take her to a restaurant she will walk around and she gets away from you she'll walk around to every table and tell everybody hello (laughs) Uh, she's known as the mayor of trinity elementary school and she's in kindergarten because she speaks to everybody and everybody knows her uh and uh yeah. yeah, and you don't want her being anybody but who she is. You know, that's uniquely exact, that's exactly the way right. God yeah. made her. I love it. And this is why now, folks, you you know, why, why did he want to have Mike Glenn on? Now you know. I got a bunch more questions for him. Maybe you're listening. You want to talk with Mike. I might let a call or two through 877-548-3675. More straight ahead right here on Moody Radio. I've been telling you about a gospel-infused ministry called CareNet. They are pro-abundant life. Since 2008, they've documented saving more than a million babies from abortion. But they're not content with that because there's more to the story than just saving the life of the unborn. It's what happens to that child afterwards. And it's what happens to the woman who's there with an unplanned pregnancy and the man who's there. And they have developed Making Life Disciples, which is a program to equip churches to get involved and provide compassion and hope and help and discipleship. Because they say that abortion really is, when you boil it down, a discipleship issue. Because people who encounter the liberating love of Jesus in their lives make a different decision once that happens when they look at the unborn. Not always, but if you start to make those inroads to the soul, you can see what I'm talking about. If you go to chrisfabrylive.org, we got a green CareNet button for you today. 
click that CareNet button. It'll encourage you some of the work that's going on. They have lots of videos and, and different blogs, things to encourage you in a world that's very discouraging about life, quote unquote, these days. Go to chrisfabrylive.org. Click the green CareNet button there, chrisfabrylive.org. Mike Glenn is with us. He was with us in 2019 talking about coffee with mom, and we've played that recording so often that it's worn out and I had to have him back to talk about something else. Uh, Before we went on here, Mike said that he just signed a contract to write a book titled Preaching in a Post-Everything World. So you're going to be working on that. And it strikes me that this issue of life in a post-everything world, see, I used to believe that if you could just show people the, the ultrasound, it's it's over. You know, it's game mm-hmm. over. And for some people, that's true. But in this culture with the ideology, that which it is, even if you see it right there in front of you, it it doesn't mean, you know, truth doesn't mean the same thing. So talk about that. Well, the, the, when I started pastoring, uh, back in the dark ages, um, we did it based off of the understanding of logic and persuasion that, uh, that Aristotle taught. And it wasn't unusual for some part of your preaching class to be, uh, to remind yourself about how the Greeks approached, uh, persuasion and logic and all of that. That was the assumption uh, and all that was done with the assumption that there is a common understanding of truth, uh, that one and one is two and two plus two is four. We live in a culture now where there is no common understanding of truth. And so if you're in a discussion, somebody will look at you and say, I'm glad that works for you. That's your truth. But that's not my truth. Or you will hear somebody say, I have to be uh, loyal to my truth. Uh, even though what they are talking about is, is logically inconsistent and can't be true just on, uh, uh, on the words that they're saying, uh, but they will not, uh, they will not back off of what they say because they have found a worldview that they're comfortable with right now. Now, if something changes tomorrow, they don't mind changing their entire worldview. If they find another truth, they'll, they'll change it like you and I change shirts. Uh, so how do you preach in a world where there is, there's no foundation in the world for you to stand and begin to make your point? So what do you tell young pastors then? Because the, this, the world that, that we are experiencing is hurtling headlong even further down, you know, AI and all of that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Now, the first thing you tell them is relax. We've been here before. Um. You know, every, every time you turn around, there's something and people say, oh, we've never done with this before. Probably we have. And and the church thrives in moments like this. Historically, we thrive uh, in the dark ages. The church thrived because we took care of the people who had um, who were suffering from the plague. We would we would go through the hills and we would pick up abandoned babies and we would take them home. Uh, and the, because of that, the church gained a witness. So what we have to understand is that this is an opportune time for the church to be the church uh, right now. And and you do it, it, we call it the Mother Teresa rule. Uh, the Mother Teresa rule is you go where nobody wants to go and you do what nobody wants to do. And when you do that, the world will give you a platform. 
Uh, and I don't know if, if you remember, but uh, Mother Teresa pointed her finger at Bill Clinton's face yeah, at the prayer breakfast one morning. I don't know if you remember that and told him to stop abortion in America. Yeah. I this mean, point little blank, tiny, this, this little, little tiny bitty <laughs> wrinkle nun and put her finger in his face. Nobody in the world talks to the president like that. But the whole world said, shrugged and said, well, that's Mother Teresa. She can say that because of her work with the lepers in India. Uh, so once we begin to understand that the world has all kind of opportunities for the church to step in and do things nobody wants to do, uh, caring for the homeless, caring for students in underperforming uh, schools, uh, wrapping your life around adopt adoptees and their families, uh, these kind of things that people say, well, you can't solve it unless you spend a bunch of uh, government money. We can solve them. We have solved them in the past. And then from that, then you can speak and say, this is Jesus that makes us do this. This is Jesus that, 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 that calls us to do this. And we're here not in power of our own or love of our own, uh, but for Jesus of our own. Yeah. The other so. thing I hear a lot is we've never been this divided with all the things. And I'm thinking... Well, during the Civil War, th there was, a, <laughs> you know, that was a really tumultuous time. And I you know, say that jokingly, it, 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 it tore families apart. You know, there were right. some for North, some for South. And, and it seemed like the church thrived then. As a matter of fact, D.L. Moody was a chaplain during the Civil War, and he would speak to right. North or South. Didn't matter. He went to a lot of, mm. I think he went to places where they had the prisons, you know, and he would speak to the, the people there, but as he was coming up. Well, part of it is um, that we have, um, now, now you're getting in my little, my little personal soapbox here. Uh, I'm, I, what I tell the church is we have lost, we have lost confidence in the gospel. We no longer believe that preaching Jesus is enough. Uh, we believe that we don't believe that Jesus can change somebody's life. So we, we believe now we have to pass all the laws. Uh, we don't believe if you tell a young lady uh, who is pregnant about how much her life is worth in Jesus and how much the life of that newborn child is, we don't believe that will change anything. So we want to pass the laws. And so we end up with an idolatry of... Um, uh, of, of, of candidates and Republic, uh, uh, Republican and Democratic parties. And, and you have to tell the church all the time, the hope for the United States is not in a political party. Jesus was offered to kingship and he turned down the crown. Uh, and we need to get back to kind of that fundamental basics. And I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but you got me fired up, Chris, uh, <laughs> about, <laughs> about preaching the gospel and the good news that Jesus has come. And that's where it starts. Uh, and uh, when we can back the church away from this idolatry of politics, uh, then I think a lot of that uh, disunity will will fade away. And you're not saying that there, you know, you said a little bit ago, be who God made you to be. There yeah. are people who are politicians who are in political office and are called to that just as you were called to be so, you're not saying exactly, exactly right. don't yeah. serve God in government, but don't make the the government and the legal realm of it don't make that your God. That's not what's going to save us. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think I got it. 
I like that. I like that soapbox. And you know, the other thing I like about you is, um, and we, we got to this when you told, talked about your mom, you're just a, at heart, you're just a storyteller. You just, you oh, must've well, sat around the table with your mom dad, and dad. My dad was one of the great storytellers of, of, uh, the, uh, of, of, that's what I grew up with listening to my dad tell stories of, uh, of, of him growing up and that kind of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, the time that he was so proud that he won a penny from his brother because he spit on a chicken through the crack in the floorboard. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> that was the big contest. So That's it. I so, bet Christmas yeah. was so fun. Did, did other uh, family members come around around Christmas? Oh, time gosh, yeah. My dad, my dad was the whole was the everybody came to hear his stories yeah. and, uh, and that kind of stuff. He was he was one of a kind in that. And my father, my father, because he grew up the way he did, he was, he was extravagant at Christmas. Hmm. Uh, we had three Christmas trees in our home that my dad set up. <laughs> uh, he wouldn't let anybody else do it. His, his job was Christmas trees and he would always buy too much and, and, and that kind of stuff because he never wanted to have a Christmas like when he grew up. You know, his joke hmm. was they were so poor, they would sit around and exchange glances. <laughs> uh, that's uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, my and the same with my parents. You know, we were so poor yeah. we couldn't afford to pay attention. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did he grow up in Alabama then? No, no. He grew up in Mississippi, uh, okay. and uh, and his dad died when he was nine years old, and uh, and the family struggled to keep the cotton farm going. And uh, when he was finally like seventeen or eighteen, he joined the Air Force. And it was there that the Air Force provided him the, the mm. career that he ended up with. We could trade hard stories. My yeah. dad, my dad, uh, born in 1920, and he at Christmas he would always have this. There's just this melancholy feel about, and I, and I couldn't figure it out. What is the you know? And he would laugh and and everything, but there was always this faraway look. And then I right. realized I looked at the tombstones. Um, Later on, and saw this the uh, the little clipping from the pay, the obituary. His mother died on Christmas Day when he was ten. Ah, uh, yeah, that'll yeah. change you. That'll mm-hmm. have an effect on your life. Okay, so I want to talk about your mom when we come back. Um, Mike Glenn is with us, president of the Engaged Church Network. If you did not hear, if you're one of the three people who didn't hear our program, Coffee with Mom, we've aired it so many times. I want you to hear just a little bit about her straight ahead on Moody Radio. Again, thank you for your support of the Radio Backyard Fence, especially here in December. It's an important month for us. And one of the reasons I want to have Mike Glenn on is to just thank him because in 2019, he talked about his own mother caring for her and her Alzheimer's. And the next year, I started writing this story about saving Grayson, and that's our thank you. So it all comes together here. If you give a gift of any size, we're going to send that to you. Go to chrisfabrylive.org, and you can scroll down to the bottom there, chrisfabrylive.org. Or click through today's information. You'll see Mike Glenn. We've got a link to Coffee with Mom, Caring for a Parent with Dementia, right there. Um, with the feedback on that book from four years ago. What what have people said about that? 
Um, most most of the time, it is something along the lines of, I was just so glad to hear that somebody knew what I was going through. I was never able to explain to anybody what it was like, so I just gave them your book. Or I had a friend who's going through it, so I gave them your book. And they called and told me, uh, you know, it gives you, everybody kind of feels a permission to say, okay, this is hard and I'm, I'm hurting. And the book kind of gives them permission to say that out loud. And talk about an underground, because what I encountered was there was so yeah. much when when you have a diagnosis like that, then the family kind of retreats. You don't see them as much in public anymore because of this thing that's going, the subterranean thing that's going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and it's it's hard to explain. Uh, you know, my mother, uh, my mother was a deeply, deeply committed Christian. Uh, and, uh, and toward the end of her life, she would cuss me out and, uh, and, and I'm looking at my mom going, wow, that does not, <laughs> you know, because that part of her brain had just, it was just gone. And, uh, and, and, uh, and all, all that was left was kind of the anger. Uh, but, but interestingly enough, uh, with my mom and, uh, you know, if I had to tell you one story, I would tell you this one. My mother was a very gifted musician, and and she never lost the ability to play the piano. And and she made me buy her the big note hymn books, and those things like weigh like two hundred pounds a piece. And and so I would take her over to the church, and she would sit down at one of the pianos, and we I'd help her get the hymnal set up, and she would never look at the hymnal. <laughs> she would just play, and she would play all of her favorite hymns. And I was in sitting in the sanctuary watching her play one time, and it hit me. I was watching her, and and she was playing "Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior." Now, if you grew up Southern Baptist, you like that song because we always sung that at the end of the service. We were getting ready to go, uh, and I'm watching my mom, and 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 it hit me. I said, "Oh my word, she's praying." Mm. My mother is praying. She's in a place she doesn't want to be. She doesn't understand what's going on. And in her last, last part of sanity, what she is playing is, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. While on others thou art calling, do not pass me by. You know, and I will, I will never hear that song without choking up. Because that was my mom's final prayer to Jesus. And it was really hard. <laughs> Did you oh, preach? Man. Did you speak at her funeral? Did you preach yes. her funeral? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was told I would preach her funeral uh, by her. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you know, and before my dad died, I was in the hospital room uh, with him, and he he pulled me aside. And he said, "Now, son, here's the way I want things handled." And I got very, very specific marching orders about how to handle everything, including mom. And, uh, and I, t- I would tell people I was the only guy that I knew to go have to have two votes getting to heaven. You know, <laughs> Jesus would say, well done. Then my dad's going to step around and go, hold on, Jesus. I got a few questions I need to ask you before. <laughs> so, so I used to tell mom, I said, when you see Jesus, uh, when you see daddy, don't you lie to me. Don't you lie on me. Now you tell him I took good care of you. Uh, but, uh, so yeah, she would tell me all the time. I said, I will tell your father what you did. I said, okay. So, <laughs> One of the things that uh, I have to ask you about this. One of the things that I've been look, seeing 
in the scriptures as well as in my own life over the last few years is how much I am bent on the outcome and I measure my life on success and, you know, what, what is it that I want to, where, where am I and where I want to go and how do I get there? Mm-hmm. And God seems less, uh, less st- stressing that outcome than he is the process of my life. Mm-hmm. And it's, it sounds like what you were talking about with the boys that the pastors would talk about, the process of being with that pastor of learning is so much more important. They weren't looking at, and you've got to be this. They're just, the process is everything. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah. The, and, and along with that process word is presence. Uh, we, I, we have a friend in Nashville here who is one of the well-known conductors and arrangers and uh, and writers of of music. You would know his name. You would know his music if I told you. But he's such a perfectionist. He just literally drives himself into the ground. And finally, I put my arm around him one time. I said, you do know that Jesus gave you this gift for the two of you to enjoy. And that when you're doing music, you do it in his presence with him. And it's to bring you both joy. I said, you're taking the joy out of it. See, you being you on in your life is, is, is uh, you were created to bring the people around you joy and also to bring joy to the Father's heart. And, uh, you know, we get a little glimpse of that. Jesus said, if you know how to be good fathers, nothing brings me more joy than being with my sons, being with my family, being with my grandchildren. And in the same way, nothing brings more joy to the Father's heart than you being you. Aren't you glad of that? Oh, aren't that, you glad? That, that, that's a great freedom there. There's a great freedom. And the um, and the idea that you know the God who made the hippo also made the flamingo and the rattlesnake mm-hmm. and everything for its purpose and its reason. And if a flamingo tries to be a rattlesnake, you know. <laughs> It's just be work. who you are. And that's, that's it. I just, I wanted to have you on here, Mike, because I know that that's, that's been one of the hallmarks of your ministry is you're just being who you are, who you're made to be. Mm-hmm. And that has spilled on over a lot of people. And with the Engaged Church Network, I mean, there's a website coming there. A lot of people are, a lot of pastors who are really frustrated are going to be helped by that, right. as well as we the book so. that you're working on, too. I can't wait for that. Come back and talk about that, okay? We will. I look forward to that. God bless you. Merry Christmas, Mike. You too, Chris. That's Mike Glenn to end the week. Michael Card at the beginning and was sandwiched in between other things. Now, coming up on uh, Monday, we've got a story for you. I tell this is a story about my mother, interestingly enough, and we have the best Christmas ever um, music from Sarah Groves, spiritual changes at Christmas, con- Christmas conversion, even Whisker Kisses coming up, and then on Christmas Day. We've got the two Michaels right here. Oh, thank you for your support and for listening. And remember, Chris Fabry Live's production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.